Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hey, I knew there were people out there. All right, hey. And uh, welcome to everyone worshiping with us online. Welcome everyone here. We are continuing. I love that video. That was so much fun. If you missed the video, go back, rewind, watch it, and then catch the sermon. It's really, really good. All right. We are continuing our series, uh, uh, No Place Like Home. And before we get to that, though, I have two apparel issues that I need to attend to. I don't normally have apparel. And don't worry, these are not wardrobe malfunctions. Uh, I just have two apparel issues, which I don't normally have. One is my shirt. Uh, I realize it has text on it, but because I'm wearing the jacket, you can't read it. So I don't want you to be distracted during the message. It's a gift for my daughter. It says it's not a dad bod. It's a father figure. Yes. Thank you, Grace. You're awesome. My favorite daughter, Grace. Um, uh, the second apparel issue that I have is my shoes. Last week I walked up on the, the stage at South Euclid and my shoes were untied and my wife told me afterwards, all I could think was, was bend over and tie your shoes. It's intentional. It is intentional. Um, I am taking off my shoes today because I'm going to be stepping on toes today and, and I figure it'll hurt less if I take my shoes off. And also to let you know, my toes are getting stepped on too. So I'm making them vulnerable out there with everyone's, everyone in the front row is going like, couldn't we have masks on if you're going to take your shoes off? You can wear your mask. It's, Flora's got hers on. There, she came prepared for shoeless Joe Blevins here. So, all right. Now, all of that out of the way, back to no place like home. Really, you know, we're getting closer and closer to the Thanksgiving and, and Christmas holidays here. When, when there's a lot of emphasis on home and going back home to visit family there or family coming to your home or maybe, you know, not having a home you can go to or folks aren't coming to your place. For some folks, this business of home is a very comforting, encouraging kind of topic. For others, it can be really, really stressful. One thing is clear, no matter what home you come from or uh, what home you're going to, whether you enjoy it or find it stressful, um, you can't really talk about home without talking about money. So today we're talking about money. And, and I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not wrong about that, right? If you got a home, you got either rent to pay or a mortgage to pay. You've got utility bills, water, gas, electric. You've got to buy food. You got clothing you need. You got a car to maintain or public transportation to pay for. You know, home costs money. And, and, and Jesus understood all of that. And the Bible talks a lot about money and our relationship with money and our relationship with money compared to our relationship with God. And we're going to dive into that in a big way today. And I'm going to read the scripture this morning. And I want to invite you as I read it 
to, uh, to just take a breath and relax and use your imagination today. This, this scripture is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. It's the longest recorded sermon that we have from Jesus. And, uh, and it, whether it was actually on a mountain or not depends on your definition of mountains. If you're from Northwest Ohio, where you can watch your dog run away for six days because the land is so flat, this was a mountain. If you're from the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, this was not a mountain. It was just a large hill. So one way or the other, imagine yourself on a mountain. Green grass around. Jesus is there and he's teaching and there are crowds of people. But the context is important on this. You see, what what the Bible tells us is that there were crowds of people there, that Jesus had been performing miracles. Crowds were following him. But at this moment, he has gathered his disciples close to him and he's teaching them in front of the crowds. So your choice, as we go imaginatively into this text, is for you to decide, are you one of the disciples? Do you identify as someone who has committed to following Jesus? If so, these teachings are for you. And, and they're not just Jesus sharing good ideas. He's sharing his expectations for how his disciples will live in this world, how they'll relate to each other and the folks around them, how they will relate to God. Um, how they'll relate to money. The second group of people, and you might be in this group, is the crowd. There are folks there that are curious about Jesus. They're not really sure about this whole thing. They've heard some good things. They've seen some good things. But they're not really ready to take the big leap and really say, I'm following this guy, Jesus. Now, the interesting thing here, and you might be in that, and that's cool too. The interesting thing here is that Jesus is teaching his disciples in front of the crowd. And I think there are two things that are happening with that. He could have been teaching this to his disciples off by themselves. He did some of his teaching that way with his disciples. I think doing it in front of the crowd, Jesus is saying two things. He's saying to the crowd, if you want to follow me, you've got to know what you're getting into. This is no lightweight, you know, uh, namby-pamby, lambs and bunnies, fluff and nutter kind of thing. If you're following me, this is real. And there are some real expectations and real targets that we're reaching toward here and how we live and relate. He's also saying to his disciples, everybody knows what my expectations of you are now. Everybody will know whether you're living the way I have taught you to live or whether you're abandoning the way of living that I'm trying to give you. So, so you pick a spot. Are you a disciple or are you in the crowd? Either is okay, but hear these words from Jesus in that light. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, 
Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I will tell you up front, this is not a beg sermon. This is not an emotional, spiritual manipulation to twist your arm to get you to give more money to the church. I want you to hear that up front because if you're worried that that's what this is going to be, you're going to tune me out from the very beginning. I promise you that's not what this is. This is about money and our relationship to God and our relationship to money. And, and Jesus makes some very powerful and stark statements about our relationship to money in this part of his sermon. And, uh, and he makes some very confusing statements that don't seem to have anything at all to do with money. He begins by talking about how ephemeral money is and how insecure it is. That, uh, that if we've got our treasures here on earth, they are always at risk of being lost. We'll either consume them or something else will consume them or they will be destroyed. Not so, Jesus says, the treasures of the heavens. You know, treasure in heaven, you've got your treasure there, you can't lose it, ever. It's secure. It's guaranteed. You don't have to worry about it. And, and later he says, don't worry. Don't worry. Worrying about money, worrying about where we're going to get our clothes to wear tomorrow, our food to eat tomorrow, or what we're going to drink tomorrow, worrying about those kinds of things has incredible negative consequences on our lives. And that's where we're starting with this notion of the negative impact of serving money, the impact of serving money. To really get this impact, we've got to take it this little bit that Jesus talked about in the, in, at the beginning that doesn't seem to have anything at all to do with money and realize that yes, it does. This is not some strange proverb or parable that Jesus has plunked into the middle and is out of context or out of place. This has precisely to do with our relationship between ourselves and God and money. And that statement that Jesus made is, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus is talking about two aspects of money in our relationship to it. If our treasure is on earth, our hearts are going to be with our treasure. 
What we treasure, that's where our hearts are going to be. That's also where our focus is going to be. That's what we're going to be looking at. If, if, if we're worried and, and we see a solution to our worry, to our anxiety, to our stress, then our focus is going to be on that solution, right? If I fall off the boat and I can't swim and throw, someone throws me a life jacket or a, you know, a, you know, a flotation device, my focus, because I'm in distress, I'm worried about drowning, I'm going to put my focus on, I'm going to concentrate on, fix my vision on the thing that I think will save me. And Jesus Jesus is saying that if our eyes, are the, which are the doors, the windows for light to come into our bodies, if our eyes are focused on the wrong thing, the light that's coming in isn't light at all, it's darkness. And money throughout the scripture is the thing that we're told is the chief rival to God for our love and devotion and affection. For our sense of hope and security and prosperity and peace of mind. And what Jesus is saying to us here is that if, if our focus for, if in our anxiety and in our worry, our focus is on money to find our security, then whatever light we think we are getting from that is really just darkness inside us. It's a darkening of our perceptions. And once our perceptions are darkened, we no longer have the capacity to distinguish between good and evil between healthy and unhealthy, between functional and dysfunctional. Our perceptions are darkened. We can't see any of those things. There's a ton of examples of folks living this way. Um, I'm going to pick a macro example for us to look at today and one that we can all relate to and connect with in one way or another because it has to do with our own cultural history as, as well, our own if you're part of the United States of America. If you're watching in another country, particularly not in North America or any of the Americas, this might not connect as well with you, but, you know, stretch, try. Hopefully you can relate. So here's the thing. We've been told and we've heard before that racism is the original sin of the United States. Uh, and that, that, you know, man, I, that's a, it may very well be, could be. I got no argument with that. But the United States and the colonization of the United States happened from Western Europe. And I don't know if it's the original sin of Western Europe or just one that they got really, really good at, but it was the love of money. And it was that turning to money as the, the answer to worry and fear about the future. The nations of Europe were in constant competition with each other. There was war, there was argument, there was fighting, there was back and forth, there was, there was, there was war and conquest to control more territory and more people, more resources, because the more resources and the more territory you had, the more wealth you had, the more wealth you had, the more war you could fund and finance, and the more power you had, not just in your own country, but across an increasingly growing globe. And so... Christopher Columbus set sail for a new route to the West Indies because he was looking for a quicker trading route. They could do an end run around the existing trading routes and make more money. And what he found and said was a whole bunch of land that a whole bunch of people that people of Western Europe had previously been ignorant about. And in their ignorance and their pride, they said they discovered that new land. You can't discover land when there are people already there, right? We can just agree on that. There were people already there. They didn't discover it. They came to it late. There were already people there, but there was also gold there. And the Spanish ships that went initially came back and they were, they had, oh, there was a lot of money. There was a lot of money 
And money meant security and money meant power and money meant influence. And so the other nations of Western Europe said, we got to get over there. We got to find land. We got to find resources. We got to find money too. Otherwise, you know, uh, England's saying we can't let Spain get it all. Spain's like we can't let the Netherlands get it all. Netherlands like we can't let Portugal get it all. We got to get our share because we don't want to lose power. We don't want our future depends on the wealth that will come from that new land and that new money. And so they went, but they didn't just go because there were already people there. They had to figure out what they were going to do with the people. And these were ostensibly Christian nations. So could they just walk in and take it and slaughter all the people there or enslave them? When Jesus said things like, you know, love one another as I have loved you and, and you know, uh, have love and compassion and respect and honor and share the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. Could they do that? Well, the nations conspired with the church and they came up with what became known as the doctrine of discovery, which is still an active and cited legal precedent in the United States Supreme Court to this day. And the doctrine of discovery said this, whatever Western European nation discovered land first in the Americas and increasingly also in Africa, whoever, whichever Western European nation got there first, the land and all of its resources and all of its people belong to that Western European nation. And all of these Christian nations of Western Europe were more than willing to exploit and enslave the indigenous populations in order to get the money and the wealth and the resources because they knew if they didn't, their neighbors would and their future, their hope, their security as a nation, as a people, as an identity depended on getting those resources and that money. And so they needed it. They, and it wasn't all gold. Some places they had to work the land to get the resources out and grow cotton or tobacco. And for that, they needed labor and the cheaper the labor, the better. And so they enslaved the brown skinned peoples of Africa and the Americas to get cheap labor so they could get more wealth and more money and expand their territory so they would have more security because they were worried about the future. Their love of money darkened their perceptions. Their worry led them on a quest and a drive, a mission to get more money and the more power that goes along with it. Their love for money and their hope in money to alleviate their future anxieties and fears led them to exploit the indigenous populations and then enslave the indigenous populations. And then even after slavery was outlawed and banned, it led to segregation. You know, when the Great Migration happened and so many African Americans were moving from southern United States up to the north and and, and white neighborhoods refused to allow African Americans to move into their neighborhoods. Why? Because they were afraid their property values would go down and they would lose money. They were, afla- uh, they were afraid that, that these, that these uh, uh, African American workers from the South would depress the wages. They would work for lower wages and so they would lose money. And so they squeezed them into to small tracts of land in the cities and forced them to live in much more crowded conditions because they wouldn't be, weren't allowed to buy land anywhere else. But they charged them three and four times the rate of rent that whites were paying. Why? To get more money. To get more money. And this segregation evolved into full-blown xenophobia in some cases. We can't let refugees come into the country. We can't let immigrants come into the country. They'll, they'll take our jobs. They'll, they'll depress wages. They'll use our, our national health care system and our education, or not a national health care system, our, our health care system, our education. They'll, they'll, they'll use our national resources that we've worked so hard for. We can't let them in 
We need the money. It'll cost too much. A love of money, a love of money darkens our perceptions and leads us to do things that are so clearly in contradiction to how Jesus taught us to live. It leads to a destruction of righteousness in the end, a destruction of right relationship among human beings and between human beings and God. You see, when we worry about the future, what we'll eat, drink, wear, when we begin seeking money and wealth to alleviate our worries, to get the peace of mind that we crave, we can no longer perceive God's way of love. Instead, we begin to justify the neglect or exploitation of others so we can get what we need for ourselves. Relationship, that is righteousness, is destroyed as we are now serving money rather than God, no matter what we say we believe, no matter how many scriptures we know, or how often we come together to sing, pray, study the Bible, or listen to sermons. This anxiety about tomorrow and the pursuit of money is what paved the way for colonialism, genocide, slavery, and the destructive exploitation of natural resources. And as long as we continue to worry about the future and pursue money and wealth as individuals and as a nation, we will stay in the dark and continue to the above evils no matter how much we say we reject them. The impact of serving money. Jesus said, He didn't make a lot of absolute statements in his earthly ministry, at least not a lot that were recorded. He made at least two of them here in the Sermon on the Mount. One he had earlier when he said, if you don't forgive others, you won't be forgiven. That's a tough one. And then this other one, you cannot serve God and money. If we focus on money for secure futures. Our perception is darkened and we will cease serving God as we exploit others to secure our own future. That's the impact of serving money. What's the blessing of serving God? There is blessing that goes along with serving God. And the blessing is this, worry-free living. Worry-free living. That's not bad. You know, Jesus could have said a lot of other things, but what he gives us is worry-free living. That is a great promise. I would, man, I'm a worrier. I don't know about you. I struggle with worry. This has been one of my original sins. This passage of scripture has connected with me since I heard it very young. Um, And this whole notion of worry. I come from a long line of worriers. I come by it naturally. But I have seen worry works. 90% of what I worry about never happens. So it's it's a... uh, But Jesus promises worry-free living. What does that look like? He said... After all, you say you can't serve God in money. So don't worry about the future. Don't worry. Lawrence Fishburne had something to say about this. Fascinating. Um, He is a man of faith. He's a follower of Jesus. He's also an actor. He's not in the Matrix 4. Hoping for Matrix 5. He's also a motorcycle enthusiast. He had this to say, and he did an interview on TV a few years back about uh, motorcycles. He said, on a motorcycle, you can't really think about more than where you are. There's a freedom that comes with that. From stress, worry, sweating the small stuff. Fishburne has discovered on a motorcycle what Jesus was teaching his disciples. That if you stay in the present moment, 
If you stay in this moment and you don't worry about the future, there is no worry in this present moment. It's the only place when we can encounter God, by the way. When God met Moses in the burning bush and Moses said, who are you? What God can I say is sending me on this crazy mission you're sending on? God didn't say, I am, I, you know, God didn't say my name is I was. You're not going to find me by searching the history books. God didn't say my name is I will be. You're not going to find me and encounter me and experiencing me by, by worrying about or, or speculating about the future. God said I am. My name is I am. You will experience me and connect with me in this present moment or you won't at all. And whenever we're worrying, we're not in the present moment. Those two things can't go along because worry is always about something that happened in the past or what might happen in the future. The present moment, though, is where we encounter God. Jesus didn't say, by the way, trouble-free living. He said, you're going to have trouble. Tomorrow's got enough trouble. Jesus didn't say, there won't be any problems tomorrow. He said, you're going to have problems tomorrow. Deal with it tomorrow. Tomorrow can take care of its own troubles. Stay with me here in the present. If that's the only way we can really encounter God, it's also then the only way we can really, truly connect with other people the way God designs and intends us to. It's the only way we can really love people. George Mueller, who, who understood this business about uh, uh, God and money and not being able to serve God and money and how a love for money and a, a chasing after money will wreck our present relationships. He was a missionary from Germany to England during the, uh, the Industrial Revolution, and he was in one of the most industrialized cities of the day where just horrible poverty, horrible living conditions, and Mueller started a church and he started an orphanage. And he had a practice and a policy for his personal life and for his church and for the orphanage that he started that we will never ask anyone but God for money. When, when preachers and teachers and fundraisers of the day constantly were going around with their hand out trying to get people to give them money, Mueller said, I will never do that and no one that works for me will ever do that. If we need something, we'll ask God. When we go into the world, we share the good news. And by the time, and George Mueller went through a lot. He had health issues. They had financial, you know, there were were times when they didn't have food to feed the orphans the next day and they didn't know where it was going to come. They had troubles. And there were an ever-increasing number of kids needing housing in his orphanage. He never asked for money. By the time he died, the orphanage he started had 300 kids in it two brand new three-story buildings. George Mueller had this to say about money. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. The Christian should never worry about tomorrow or give sparingly because of a possible future need. The only present moment is our, I'm sorry, only the present moment is ours to serve the Lord and tomorrow may never come. Life is worth as much as it is spent for the Lord's service. So how do we know, by the way, This is not a law or a rule. 
that Jesus is giving. Jesus is not giving another rule. Don't worry. And if you worry, God will be angry with you. Pastor Steve preached a great series of sermons back in uh, September about how, you know, God's primary attitude toward us is love, not anger. They they were such a blessing to me. Go back. You can find them on YouTube. Uh, Amazing messages. Jesus is not putting one more rule that his followers have to follow here in order for God to love them. Jesus is offering an invitation into a way of living, an invitation into a practice, a manner of loving, into spiritual discipline, which is what discipleship is, is living in a way that is guided by Jesus. So how can we tell? whether we're serving God or money. And I'm looking at the clock right now, and I'm just going to tell you all right up front, I'm going long. I'll try not to go too long. Um, How can we tell? I've made this confession before uh, in public that I am a country boy at heart. I do like country music. Got a really long country playlist on my Spotify channel. I also like Jeff Foxworthy. Now, judging by the non-response, I'm going to assume most of you don't even know who that is. That's all right. That just means you're not country. That's okay. Jeff Foxworthy is known for one thing as a comedian, and that's his, his series of jokes about you might be a redneck. And, and he's got a lot of tests to determine if you're a redneck. I have Redneck is my heritage, so I can tell redneck jokes. It's really okay. He said things like, if you ever mow your lawn and find a car, you might be a redneck. Uh, if you ever go to a family reunion looking for a date, you might be a redneck. Um, If you've ever misspelled anything in Christmas lights, you might be a redneck. Well, I've got a series of questions about this. You might be serving money. You might, the biggest difference between Foxworthy's list and my list is mine aren't funny. All right, mine aren't funny, but you got to hear these. If you have a plan to finance your retirement, but no plan for building relationships with with diverse people, you might be serving money rather than God. If you have a plan to finance your kids' or grandkids' college education, but no plan for loving your neighbor as you love yourself, you might be serving money. If you have a plan to upscale your job, your house, your car, your wardrobe, but no plan for putting the needs of the desperately hurting people around you into the ends of the world, to the ends of the world for putting their needs ahead of your own, you might be serving money rather than God. If you have a plan to finance future medical expenses, but no plan to pursue true reconciliation based on justice for historically exploited people, you might be serving money rather than God. If you get angry about someone trying to push God on you, but would love it if someone tried to push money on you, you might be serving money rather than God. And if you can't even see the problem with having these kind of financial plans to secure your future, but no meaningful plan for seeking God's kingdom first and God's righteousness first, then even the light you can't claim to have in you is darkness and you might be serving money rather than God. I struggle with all this stuff, by the way. So when I'm in this crowd, I'm sitting there with the disciples going, ouch. Help me, Jesus. How do I get there? How do we shift from serving money to serving God? To serving God? How do we make that transition? First, Jesus said, is get your priorities straight. 
It's a question of attitude at first. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Seek first God's kingdom. God's kingdom is not real estate. God's kingdom is where God's will is done. So seek first, is God's will being done in my life? Am I living this way that, God, that Jesus is inviting us and calling his disciples to live? Am I living that? Is God's will being done in my life? And do I have the right attitude and the right relationship with others and with God and with money? Am I loving God with all that I have? Am I loving my neighbor as myself? Am I, am I, am I connecting with diverse people? Am I humbly putting others' needs ahead of my own? Is God's will being done in me? And seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And again, it's not about rules. It's not about being the best person at following the rules. I follow the rules of the Bible better than anyone I know, certainly better than those people. No one follows all the rules of the Bible. Nobody. The most that happens is that people select a few rules that they follow and say, these are the important rules. Those rules that I'm breaking, those are not the important rules. These are the, it's those people that are breaking the rules that I find important. They're the ones that are really unrighteous. No. Righteousness is about relationship. It's about being in right relationship with God and with others. And the basis of that relationship is love. Am I loving God? And am I loving others? Or am I so focused on securing my future needs that I'm willing to exploit others while winking at God? And by the way, every single one of us is wearing clothes that was made by near slave labor. Every one of our cell phones has components made by near slave labor. Everything that we have that has a lithium ion battery in it is made by exploiting and ruining natural resources and using near slave labor. Every car we drive has those kind of components. We don't escape this. How do we seek God's kingdom first and God's righteousness first? One, the practical thing here, Jesus said, attitude. Seek God's kingdom, God's righteousness first. Make that your top priority. Practically, how do we get there? Give. Give. It's the most practical and simple and I think important thing that we can do in our relationship with money to make sure we're serving God rather than money. And again, I promised you before, this is not some sort of beg sermon for you to manipulate you into giving more money to the church. I don't care who you give to. I don't you give to God. I would love for you to give to Garfield. I think that we're doing a great mission here together as a church. That's awesome. Give to Garfield, give to a charity of your choice that you believe is doing great work. Find a coworker or a neighbor who's in great need and give extravagantly to them, extravagantly from your perspective, not from theirs. Give. It's amazing. I've heard this passage preached and taught since I was really small. It's been one of the, the key passages in my life that I've wrestled with in this whole business of worry-free living. And I know I've heard that teach, you can't, God, Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll hold to the one and despise the other. And that teaching always came wrapped in this package. If you love money too much, you will hate God. What no one ever said to me. I never even thought of it. To, I've been, ah, I'm 50. Two years old. Never even thought of it until preparing this message. Jesus is also saying if we love God, we'll hate money. You hold to one and despise the other. 
You love one and hate the other. We can know how much we love God by how much we hate money. What do we do with what we hate and what we despise? We get rid of it as quick as we can, as fast as we can. I don't want this. Get it away from me. Ah, yuck, dangerous, gross. Get the cat litter out. Get the, you know, dog poo off the lawn. Get it out. Get it away. Take the garbage. Carry it away. I don't care where you put it as long as it's not in my yard. Is that our attitude toward money? Sadly, it's not mine. I got a lot of work to do on this. But Jesus said, if you hate one, if you love one, you'll hate the other. You'll hold to one and despise the other. We still think, because we're 21st century American Christian church people, we still think we can have it both ways. We say, God, I love you. You're the love of my life. Money is just my side chick. I just hang out with money to have fun on the weekends, right? But God won't play that. Jesus will not do relationship that way. Jesus said, it's me or him, him. Me or the money. You can't serve us both and you can't love us both. It is not possible. I got a friend for the impact of uh, serving money and we did macro. I want to take this, close this out with micro here and I really got to hurry. But I got to tell you about a friend of mine. Uh, I'm going to call her Nancy. It's not her real name. Um, She doesn't live around here. You don't know her. I knew her years ago. She lived in poverty. As far as I knew, she'd grown up in poverty. I don't know that for sure, but I think she did. And and like real poverty. She lived in a small town. There were no opportunities. There was no hope of of anything great or good, new jobs, anything like that coming to that town. Wasn't going to have a great little ice cream place. Get a small ice cream that tall. No exaggeration. It was incredible. But Nancy didn't have much of anything. And I I was talking to her in church one day and she was just telling me about her day, about her week. And she shared with me how a day or so before she had met uh, and she named another person who was really, really struggling, really, really struggling. And Terry said, I, she needed it more than I did. I, I gave her my last $30. Now you need to understand that Nancy's last $30 is different than my last $30 and your last $30. Our last $30 means I got to drive to the ATM and put the card in and get some more cash out. Um, There was no ATM. There was no card. It was Nancy's last $30. She had no credit cards. It was her last $30. She had two weeks before any money was going to be coming back into her before she got paid again. And she wasn't, she wasn't asking me for anything. She wasn't distressed. She wasn't stressed or worried. She was just sharing about this opportunity that God gave her to bless somebody. She wasn't worried about how she was going to live, whether she was, how, where she was going to get food. She, was, she wasn't. It was amazing. I love telling her story. She's never going to get on the news. She's never going to write a book. You're never going to be famous. No one's going to make a movie about her life. She's like that woman uh, uh, that Jesus caught giving at the temple when all of the rich folks were coming up and making a show about how much they were giving. So people would say, oh, look, they gave so much. And there was a a widow that put in her last two pennies. And Jesus said she gave more than all those other folks. Terry, well, messed that up. Nancy got it. She got it right. She's, She's... She's living this stuff. 
in a meaningful way, in a beautiful way, in a powerful way. I'm not there yet. I don't know about you. I don't know about you. I do know, I do know that I'm going to close with this quote. Ooh, I've gone way over. John Perkins said this. God has always wanted the vulnerable in society to be cared for. He never intended them to languish in poverty, abuse, slavery, homelessness, or other types of devastation. When we care for individuals who are trapped in these ways, when we show them love and help them move toward freedom and wholeness, we participate in bringing a little part of God's kingdom back into alignment with his greater plan. We do justice, and God smiles. Jesus is offering us an invitation. If we're his disciples, he's saying, this is what I expect of you. If we're in the crowd wondering, he's saying, this is what I'm inviting you to. A life of worry-free living. Not because you're not going to have troubles, but because you're going to be present with me, with God, every moment. And God will give you all that you need. Maybe not all that you dream of, maybe not all that you think you want, but all that you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't let your future worries drive you to turn to money and darken your perceptions. Instead, trust me. Trust me and love each other. In Jesus' name, amen.